Match Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters is your spot for all Florida State football games this season. Big game this Sunday night as it also face LSU kickoff at 7.30. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Corbin to McNeil on a 1-1. Swinging a ground ball up the middle, ranging behind second to glove it as Abrams. Off-balance throw to first, is on target for the out. Patrick Corbin has retired seven in a row, and he's through seven innings in a 1-1 game. Here's a swing and a drive by Thomas to deep left field. Way back, going, going, and gone, goodbye! Bang! Zoom goes Lane Thomas to straightaway left field. It's Washington 2 and New York 1. Here's the pitch. Swing by Abrams. Ground ball. Base hit into center field. This is going to score two runs. Ruiz has scored. Racing for the plate to score is Palacio. And over to third of the plate goes Vargas. Diving back into first. Abrams thinking they were going to throw in behind him. But he has single past McNeil to his right and on into right center field. And the Boo Birds have come out here at City Field. And welcome to Nats Chat for Sunday, September 4th, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at City Field in New York. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Do not look now, but Patrick Corbin has been, wait for it, good in each of his last three starts. To varying degrees, he has notched a win in each of his last two starts now. The Nats now, over their last five games, have scored 28 runs. This off over the team's previous seven games, the team having totaled a mere 15 runs. And the Nats now have won four of their last six games. Saturday night, a 7-1 win, a 7-1 ripping of the National League East leading New York Mets in New York. The Nats beat the ex-Nat Max Scherzer. The Nats scored five runs in the top of the ninth to blow the game open. It wasn't always pretty. The Nats once again ran themselves into multiple outs, but the Nats did win. They are playing better, and Mark, amazingly, the Nats in September have a chance to win a series at the division leading Mets on Sunday. Well, before we get to that, <laughs> I mean, you know, that would be fantastic if they can pull it off. I think just on itself, this game tonight was really one of the more impressive ones of the year. When you consider what Corbin did against that lineup, what you consider what the Nats lineup did to hit a couple big home runs, and then the way they piled on late, and the way they're playing defense now, I mean, you can't tell me that it doesn't look dramatically different with that infield up the middle of C.J. Abrams and Luis Garcia. I was watching a team tonight that I know there were some issues. The base running was definitely high on that list. But I was watching a team tonight that I didn't feel like 
was out of place playing the Mets. Like they looked like they could compete. Not they're going to win all these games, but they looked like they could compete with decent opponents. And that's not something we've seen a lot this year. So that to me was very encouraging. Whatever happens in the finale, whatever happens the rest of the way, I am seeing some signs here of a team that is much more competitive than we've seen the majority of this season. They've been better lately, there's no doubt. And you know, when you think about baseball, you have 30 teams and they are all 30 professional teams. So the gap between the best team and the worst team certainly is sizable, but there should always be like a level of professionalism, even from the really bad teams, because they are one of just 30 major league teams. I think one of the real off-putting things about the Nats for so much of this season is that so often it felt like the professionalism was lacking. I don't mean from like a character standpoint or a behavioral standpoint. I mean, from a performance standpoint, like it was really bad. The run differential has been really bad. The team has gotten smashed in a number of games, and we've seen all kinds of mishaps happen on the field. It feels like the level of professionalism in terms of the play has been raised here lately. And, you know, it's funny because this happens off you trading away your two best hitters. This happens off you changing some things. And obviously, you've changed some things for the better defensively with C.J. Abrams at shortstop and Ildemaro Vargas at third base. So, yeah, I mean, this is a more like functional team that we're seeing. Still hard to say that it's not a bad team, but that's not the point. We are seeing better baseball here from the Nats. Right. And like you said, it, I think it starts with defense uh, above all else. And it starts with getting much, much better starting pitching. <laughs> and it's not just Corbin. Across the board, their starters are giving them a chance. Even Josiah Gray the other night, he ends up with six runs charged to him, but he what was at three going into his last inning. There were some things that could have gone differently there. I'm just seeing far less of those games that we saw there for a while where they're down by a bunch in the third or the fourth inning and you just know it's over. They're in many more of these games going into the late innings. As we've seen, they have a pretty good bullpen and they're finding a way to win some games late. So I think that's encouraging as well. You just put it all together. It is just a better brand of baseball. It's been much more interesting to watch. And, and the vibe in there has been a lot better here in the last, I'd say, week, 10 days. Well, all credit to Patrick Corbin for what he did on Saturday night, because yes, we have seen Patrick Corbin pitch well, even in the midst of a third consecutive bad season. But as we have pointed out, oftentimes the pitching well has come against inferior opponents. You think about the Pittsburgh Pirates, you think about the Miami Marlins. I wondered, I think a lot of people wondered what was going to happen with Corbin now as the Nats are in this season-ending stretch of 31 games against, for the most part, nothing but contending teams. The only non-contender really is the Marlins, and we know that the Marlins have like owned the Nats so far this season. Remember, Corbin had that wretched outing in which he allowed six runs and recorded just two outs. That was an 11-5 loss at Philadelphia on August 6th. His next turn in the rotation then was skipped. His initial start after being skipped, if you recall, did not go well. 7-5, 11-inning loss to the Cubs at Nationals Park on August 16th, four runs in six innings. But in three starts since then, he had a 2-1 loss at San Diego August 21st, two runs, five and a third innings. He had the 3-2 win over Cincinnati at Nationals Park last Sunday afternoon, August 28th, two runs, one earned in six innings, and he got the win, and that snapped that incredible streak of 43 consecutive Nats games without a starting pitcher earning a win. And then we got what we got on Saturday night at the Mets. This was really good by Patrick Corbin. One run in seven innings. And it's not just what he did, it's how he did what he did. Five strikeouts versus one walk. 
He gave up just three hits, a homer and two singles. He threw a lot of strikes, 85 pitches, 60 strikes versus 25 balls. And maybe most notably, he deviated from that usual Patrick Corbin game plan of going heavy with the slider. Not so many sliders, a lot of sinkers, and coincidence or not, the results were really good against one of the better hitting teams in the majors. That was the most notable thing to me, and you picked up on it immediately. He was not going to that slider to try to get outs. He threw 60 of his 85 pitches were sinkers. Only 13 of his 85 pitches were sliders. We never see that from him. It's 15% of his pitches were sliders. Essentially, when you count the four seamers as well, it's 82% fastballs that he threw in this game. That is not the Patrick Corbin we're used to, but he realized he was having success with it. He was locating on both sides of the plate. He was throwing pretty hard too. He averaged 94. He topped out at almost 96 in this game. So that's up from his usual average. He was getting them to make weak contact on it. And he was taking advantage of good defense behind him. You put that all together and that's a winning formula for him. And so a guy who, you know, at his best in 2019, we thought of as he's effective when he's getting swings and misses, especially with his slider. He found a way to win and he had a few strikeouts, but he found a way to win with pitching to contact actually by locating well and just trusting that that sinker was a good enough pitch to get the job done. And I don't know if that's a formula that can work again. Was it specific to this game and this lineup and something about this matchup that that worked out? I don't know, but it certainly worked on this night and it was nice to see him find a different path. We've talked for a ye- couple of years now about how, well, he only knows one way to pitch. And if he can't be successful that way, he doesn't have any other way to do it. We found a way for him to be successful doing it a different way. That's really encouraging. Yeah, it only took three years. I mean, you know, if this if this ends up being something that works, I think it's actually going to make people angrier because it's like, why didn't you do this sooner if, in fact, this ends up being a viable game plan moving forward? Now, like you said, maybe this was just a one-off. Maybe this was specific to the Mets on this night. Maybe going heavy with the sinker and going away from the slider wasn't the reason for all of this. We don't know. You got to see more. But yeah, if this ends up being the fix and like this could have been the fix all along, I think it's going to drive everyone bonkers. Yeah. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. How many times in the last couple of years have we um, thought that Patrick Corbin had turned a corner (laughs) and it turned out he had not. So I'm not going to base it off this one, but it is nice to see him pitching much better and having some success. And I'll tell you what, for the other guys in the clubhouse, they really appreciated it and they were glad that they were able to provide him the run support to put him in position to win that game because as Lane Thomas said, there've been a few other ones where he has deserved a better fate and didn't get it because they haven't scored runs for him. They made sure of it tonight to put him in a position to get the win. Yeah. I mean, that may have happened a little bit, but his ERA is still over six. So let's not go crazy with him being a hard luck loser this season. Okay. It is worth remembering Patrick Corbin last season pitched well in four or five starts in September. So we're not going to do any big picture conversation about is he fixed, okay? Like, we're not doing that. But good job by Corbin on Saturday night. And again, against a good hitting team. This was not the Marlins. This was not the Pirates. This was the Mets. And Corbin looked good. And all credit to him for that. Hey, are you a law firm partner or associate stuck in the minor leagues like Joey Fourbags Manessis? Your employer might be holding you back from your true potential. Maybe another law firm can get you what you need. More money, better support, better client contacts, or a better brand name. You need a better agent. You need Mason Kalfas. 
Mason Kalfas, he started Zenith Legal in 2015 to be the best legal recruiter in the nation, and he has succeeded. He has placed partners and associates at over half of the largest 100 law firms in the U.S. He specializes in working with lawyers at major law firms and government agencies such as the DOJ and SEC. Like Joey Meneses' big breakout, Mason Kalfas can help you identify what you really need to accelerate your legal career. He will work with you to find the best law firm for your practice and negotiate you the absolute best deal, a deal worthy of a superstar free agent. The legal market still is very strong in 2022, and there's no better time than the present to think about making a move. You need to call Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal. His number is 202-486-3535. Or you can check out his website, zenithlegal.com. He has a team of recruiters across the country, but you will get tons of personal attention from Mason. It's time to launch your career into the upper deck. Call Mason Kalfas today. Go Nats and go Joey. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Here's Luis Garcia. 290 for the year, 14 doubles, 2 triples, 5 homers, 28 knocked in. First pitch swung on, hit in the air to deep right. Marte's not even running, it's going, going, and gone, goodbye. Luis Garcia has hit his sixth home run of the year on a first pitch fastball from Max Scherzer. The Nats offense looked good, and the Nats offense has been better here lately. And what you had on Saturday night were a lot of guys getting in on the act. You had four different Nats batters in this game, each with at least two hits, and you had a top of the order, Lane Thomas in the one spot, Luis Garcia in the two spot. Those two guys combined for seven hits and a walk, three RBI, and two runs. Some big hits by those guys, some really interesting plate appearances by those guys. I actually want to start with Luis Garcia. I thought that this was fascinating with him on Saturday night. He was a first pitch swinging machine in this game. He went four for five with a solo homer, two doubles, and a single. 
He, in a one-run first, had a one-out first-pitch solo homer to right field off Max Scherzer, 411 feet per stat cast. He, in the top of the six, had a one-out double off the right field wall. That hit came on the second pitch of the plate appearance. Garcia, in the top of the eighth, a one-out first-pitch opposite field double to the left-field corner, although he moments later got picked off at second base for the second out. Garcia, in the bottom of the ninth, a one-out first-pitch single to right field. Even the double play that Garcia hit into was a first-pitch double play. It was a bizarro double play, top of the third, runners on first and second, a 6-4-5 double play as the Mets shortstop Francisco Lindor allowed an infield pop-up to drop, and the infield fly rule, very interestingly, was not called. But all of these first-pitch approaches in this game Garcia on Friday night had two singles. Each single was a first pitch single. This pretty clearly has become part of Garcia's approach here. Swing early, swing often, and the results, at least in this series, have been good. I'm going to get to the infield fly call here shortly because it was called, but not by the umpire closest to the play. So we'll get to that in just a second here. The first pitch approach. Luis Garcia, I think, is understanding, and I'm sure he's being told this also by the coaching staff. He gets into trouble when he's behind in the count. You get the two strikes. Everybody knows he's a free swinger. And if you can get him to chase something out of the zone, that's when he gets into trouble. So if you get a good pitch to hit early in the count, especially a fastball, go after it, take advantage of that. I think you saw him do that here. Now, pitchers are going to realize that. They're not going to keep just feeding him fastballs over the plate on the first pitch. So he's got to be ready to not just chase and just assume that he can hit any first pitch that he sees. But he at least is understanding, don't let yourself get deep in the count if you don't have to. That's all right. You don't have to work the count. He's not going to draw his walks. That's just not who he is. He's a contact guy. That's fine. If you get the right pitch to swing at, you can do damage on it. He did that and was encouraging here is he not only hits the home run off Scherzer, but the other hits later, he goes the other way on some of them. He basically stayed in the middle of the field for most of it, an opposite field double as well. You saw the full gamut there from him, and I thought that was a really good thing to see from him. All right, the weird play in the infield fight. Garcia up there from the left side, runner second and first. Here's the pitch home. Breaking ball, check swing, pop up on the infield. They're going to let it drop. That's a smart play. They'll get the out at second, throw to third, and Abrams is tagged out. What a brilliant play by Francisco Lindor. Everybody was confused by this, watching it both in person and those of you watching it on TV. As I was watching it live, I thought to myself, I was pretty sure they called infield fly and C.J. Abrams did not realize that the way that rule works, it's infield fly, runners advance at their own peril. If he just turns around and goes back to second, he's fine. He can't be thrown out. But if you decide to try to run, if the ball drops, they can throw you out. So Lindor pretty smartly catches him, you know, in an unusual position and ends up throwing him out. Now, here's the thing. I saw live at least the first base umpire, C.B. Buckner, putting his finger up to signal it for it. The second base umpire, Manny Gonzalez, did not. I did not see it, but Davey Martinez told us afterwards that the third base umpire, Stu Sherwater, also called for it. The problem was that the umpire at the center of it all, the one that closest to C.J. Abrams, did not, and nobody was yelling it loud enough to be heard, and so C.J. Abrams never heard it. He's trying to follow the ball. It lands on the ground. He's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I got to run, and he gets thrown out. Thankfully, it didn't cost them in the end, but it was really poorly handled by the umpires there, and I know there was a lot of confusion. Dan and Kevin calling the game on TV, us watching it in person, trying to figure out, did they call infield fly? Did they not call infield fly? And that, to me, is just such a prime example of well, two things. One, the umpires need to be clearer 
in the live moment when it's happening. So everybody understands what's being called. But secondly, you know, they have the microphone now. They have the ability to tell everyone what just happened. They only do it on replays. Why not hop on real quick and say, infield fly rule was called. The runner was thrown out for trying to advance to third base. It was not clear to anybody whether that actually happened or not. So technically speaking, the rule was invoked, just to be clear. Even though one guy did not call for it, the one closest to the play, who you would think would be the one to call it, did not. The two base the, on the corner bases did call it. So yes, it was invoked. That was officially a pop out for Garcia, and C.J. Abrams is thrown out trying to advance. And if he had just gone back to second, and I'm not necessarily faulting him because it was a weird play and he didn't know exactly what was going on. But if he had just trotted back to second base, he was safe. He could not be thrown out. It's only because he attempted to advance on an infield fly that he was out. Boy, well, that wasn't complicated at all. No, no. That's not baseball minutia at all, what happened on that play. And this just keeps happening to the Nationals. Like, does this happen to other teams as frequently as it happens to the Nationals? It doesn't. I mean, I actually think you look back on it, Lindor did a really smart thing with how he handled that. But that was there was some definite bad luck involved with it not being clear whether the infield fly rule was being invoked or not. Yeah, that was strange. And just so people understand, like, because there was a question of, well, was it hit high enough? It was sort of an odd check swing and like maybe they wouldn't call it. That to me was the perfect example of why that rule exists. So for those who don't know, the whole point of the infield fly is when you have runners on first and second or, or bases loaded and there's an obvious easy catch to be made by the infielder, you don't let them do what Lindor did which is purposely drop the ball so you can just throw out another runner and get a double play because the runner is stuck. They have nowhere to go. So the whole point of that is to prevent that from happening. But the caveat to it is that the runners can only advance at their own peril and they have to know that. And if it's called, don't even try to run. Just go back to the base. That's it. You're safe. Nothing can happen to you. See, I don't even know if you need an infield fly rule. Like, I think if a defense wants to play it like that, I don't know why that's so terrible that a defense tries to play it like that. I mean, It's funny to me in baseball, there are certain things that are just accepted that nobody questions. Like we accept framing as a thing. Like if you think about it, framing is cheating. You're taking something that isn't a strike and presenting it as a strike. Isn't that cheating? Isn't that dishonorable? But like people praise catchers who are good at framing. Something like the infield fly rule. I mean, if you if an infielder wants to play little games with the base runners, like go ahead and do it. I I don't know. I don't I don't know why that has to be a rule necessarily, but it is a rule. And uh, it was not clearly called in this game, that's for sure. You got to be clear on something like that. Well, anyway, Luis Garcia was good in this game. And I think you could argue one of the biggest bright spots this season is the clear step forward that Luis Garcia has taken as a batter. I mean, he homered off Scherzer in this game. And that that was kind of like a tone setter, him doing that as early in the game as he did. The other guy I really want to get to, though, is Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas has been better lately. This has not been a good season for Lane Thomas off the great run that he had over the final few months of last season. But, you know, he did slug 468 in August, and he's off to a really good start in this month of September, even with him on Friday night having gone 0 for 5 with a strikeout. The uh, Lane train on Saturday night as the Nats' number one batter for a second straight game in this series, 3 for 4, solo homer, RBI single, another single, and a walk. Top of the third, a one-out six-pitch walk. Top of the sixth, a one-out full count opposite field single to right field. He, in the top of the eighth, had a one-out solo homer to left field for a 2-1 Nats lead. That felt like that was going to be a huge hit in the game. It turns out the Nats put up a five spot in the top of the ninth, but that was a tie-breaking homer deep into the game. And then Thomas, in that five-run ninth, a one-out RBI single through the left side of the infield for a 7-1 
Nats lead. I like this. I like Lane batting in the leadoff spot once again. I like Luis Garcia in the two spot. You know, Davey these days, every lineup is different. You know, Luis Garcia will be in the six spot one night, the two spot the next night. Lane will be in the one spot one night, you know, the seven or eight spot the next night. Like, that's how it is right now. So there is no set spot for anyone except Nelson Cruz when he plays. He's got to be the cleanup batter. But I like this. I'm happy to see Lane Thomas doing well. Yeah, and I think there is a little bit of some more consistent playing time. Maybe he's making a difference for him. Maybe he's not the same spot in the lineup, but he is in the lineup almost every night at this point. He's got 15 homers now on the season. Juan Soto is the only person who has hit more homers in a Nationals uniform this year. Now, had Josh Bell still been here, he would certainly have more than the 14 he had at the time of the trade. But, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that Thomas has been one of their more productive hitters in an obviously very weak lineup overall. Has he done enough to say that, oh, yes, he is an everyday player for them in the long run? No, he needs to be more consistent, of course. But it is nice to see him doing this again. It's shades of what we saw from him late last season, not quite to the same extent. And obviously, he's got to prove this over a longer period of time. But it is nice to see from a guy who you know, I think we've known all along, whatever they get from him, if he does somehow emerge as a valid long-term piece of the puzzle, that's a great win for them to have gotten him for John Lester. And, you know, even if he ends up just as a backup outfielder, that's still fine. But at this point, play him, see what you got. There's no reason not to put him out there and see if he can find a little bit of that magic that he showed last year. I mentioned Nelson Cruz, so he left the Friday night game due to a knee issue, did not play on Saturday night, and so, and it was nice to see this, Davey had Luke Voigt as the DH and Joey Manessis as the starting first baseman. Good. Let's evaluate Joey Manessis defensively at first. Now, Joey did not have a good offensive game, 0 for 5, 3 strikeouts, 4 guys left on base, but I like that. Joey Manessis at first base, I'd like to see more of that here. Look, if you have to make up some ailment for Nelson Cruz, do it. Or if you have to sort of say, well, you know, this left knee thing is more of a thing than we thought. He's going to sit out some games here. Go ahead and do it. Let's evaluate Joey Manessis at first base. The other thing with the lineup in this game was Cesar Hernandez in left field. Cesar Hernandez has become the new A-Ray Adrianza. We've seen him play third base. Now we've seen him play left field. He had not played left field ever in a major league regular season game in terms of starting a game. That's crazy. And there he was batting in the sixth spot on Saturday night and serving as an ad starting left fielder. So I was about to ask you before you said it, are you still good with the idea of playing Manessis at first and Void at DH if it means Cesar Hernandez becomes the left fielder? (laughs) Because that's the domino effect of all of that. Maybe not the ideal scenario that you want there. He had played 22 games in center field as a rookie for the Phillies back in 2013. He had not played the outfield at all since then and had never played left field. And basically, this amounted to Davey Martinez saying he wanted as many left-handed hitters in his lineup against Scherzer as he could get. To his credit, Cesar got a hit in his first at-bat in the second inning, then was caught stealing. Didn't do much of anything else the rest of the night. Didn't really have anything happen in left field that was that notable. And they did make the defensive change late once they had the lead. I don't know. I hope that is not an alignment we see a lot (laughs) the rest of the season. I would much rather see Alex Call or Josh Palacios out there. But the way it worked in this game, you know, it turned out fine, no big deal. But I agree, I want more of Manessis at first. Let's see how he can handle that. And especially if there's a chance that he's your guy next year there, you want him working with Garcia and Abrams, who continue to look so much more comfortable together up the middle. They almost turned a spectacular double play. This game was just a tick too late. But there is so much more smooth defense being played up the middle right now than there had been a few weeks ago. And that's a combination of 
Abrams now being the shortstop and looking more comfortable with more time and Garcia being way more comfortable at second base. That's been such a nice thing to see. Yeah, and you have some real athleticism and youth at shortstop and second base. And so what you have is guys with upside and guys who figure to only get better. You, you know, we see what it looks like now. What might it look like a year from now? I think it's pretty exciting to think about what that middle of the infield defense could look like for the Nats. You mentioned Josh Palacios. Nice to see him be productive on Saturday night. Two for four RBI single and another single. And it sure was nice to see C.J. Abrams come through with a big hit in this game. There have not been many big hits for C.J. Abrams. Remember, he had the big two-run single. It was one of the games out west. It was a 6-3 win at San Diego on August 19th. It's one of the few big hits C.J. Abrams had had. Abrams in a two-run fourth in that game, a two-out, two-run opposite field single for a 2-1 Nats lead. Well, here we were in this five-run ninth on Saturday night, and C.J. Abrams came through with a one-out, bases-loaded, two-run single off the side of the mound and into right center field for a 5-1 Nats lead. He actually had two hits in this game, two for four with a two-run single and another single. He then got picked off between first and second base, but that actually ended up being a blessing because that led to a throwing error by the Mets' second baseman, Jeff McNeil, during the rundown, and Ildemaro Vargas ended up scoring for a 6-1 Nats lead. We actually could do like an hour on that five-run ninth. It was a marathon inning. It was an inning filled with singles and mishaps by the Mets. You know, the Mets in a lot of ways kind of gifted that inning to the Nats, but credit to the Nats for taking advantage and credit to C.J. Abrams for coming through with a big hit in that inning. Yeah. So first of all, with Abrams, I'm seeing much more comfortable quality at bats from him. It hasn't produced a ton of hits, but you're starting to see more of it. He had that really nice game during the homestand, remember, where we thought, okay, we're starting to see it all come together now. I think maybe the pressure, the dynamic of the trade now coming up here and all having all the attention on him. I think he's starting to look more relaxed, more comfortable. He's really smooth in the field, obviously, and having better looking at bats. So I think that's a good sign. Let's continue to see more of it, of course. But you know, the first couple of weeks were not great for him offensively, but you are seeing a glimmer of some better stuff there. So that's good. And that inning, I mean... <laughs> Would you have ever imagined, I mean, it's a 2-1 game and I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe you score one attack on, make it 3-1, give Finnegan a little bit of a cushion. And instead, that was like the longest half inning we've seen in a long time. And they just had productive at bat after productive at bat. And yes, the Mets helped them out with some shaky defense, shaky relief pitching, everything else. But to the Nats credit, they just kind of kept going. I know the significance isn't nearly as much, but that felt like a 2019 kind of late inning rally. Remember the Nats team that won the World Series was so good at sustaining rallies, just moving the line like that. That was that style of rally they put together there. And all of a sudden you had what looked like a really tense, low scoring game turn into a route and Finnegan, who was warming up, could sit down and now he's good to go for Sunday if they need him. I think my favorite thing about the five run ninth was Alex Call came into the game to pinch run for Luke Voigt and then ended up batting later right. in the inning. You do not see that happen often. Came up to bat, drew a two out six pitch walk. I mean, that's so rare. You come into pinch run and you end up batting later in that inning. Now a word from our sponsor, Better Help. The way I take care of my mind is daily exercise. It is essential for me. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Everyone I know who does therapy swears by it. 
It feels like all I hear these days is how you have to start doing therapy. BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you don't have to fight traffic or look for parking. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash NatsChat. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash NatsChat. And now throw to first, and Abrams picked off. He's in the rundown. Rump throws to McNeil, back to Ruff, who looked away and missed the ball. Now Vargas comes in to score, and Abrams goes to second. I don't know if he intentionally got it a rundown, but it sure worked. So Alex Call on Friday night did have an RBI single, but he later got picked off at first base for the third out in that inning. That was in the Nats' one-run fifth. The Nats' base running in this game was pretty bad. And, you know, if the Nats lose this game, this is like one of the A topics with this game. This ends up being just kind of like an oh, by the way. But you had in this game, and we've already hit on some of this, but C.J. Abrams, right? He has the big two-run single in the five-run ninth, gets picked off between first and second base. It ends up being a blessing in disguise, but you obviously don't know that in the moment. Luis Garcia, top of the eighth, had a double, but he moments later got picked off at second base for the second out. Cesar Hernandez, top of the second, a one-out first pitch single. He then was thrown out in an attempted steal of second base for the second out. It's amazing, man. I mean, most teams, it's like, okay, over the course of a week, you maybe have one or two or three outs on the base pass, something like that. This team, every game has at least one. And on Saturday night had multiple, like egregious base running mistakes. And we know it's a problem. We've talked about it being a problem, but it's not going away. And it feels like it's getting worse, not better. Yeah. So, I mean, they officially ran into three outs and it could have been four if not for that Mets error that we were talking about there later. And fortunately, it didn't come back to haunt them. But boy, I, in my mind, I'm thinking all along, if the bullpen blows it late, if Finnegan gives it up in the bottom of the ninth because they only have a 2-1 lead and they lose 3-2, to two, something like that, we're going to look back and say they blew it not by giving up the lead in the ninth, but by running themselves into outs throughout the course of a game. When you're facing Max Scherzer, you cannot help him out at all like that. Now, again, it didn't matter in the end, so that's fortuitous, but they cannot keep playing like that. And a lot of times these are errors of base running mistakes of aggression, but they've got to be smarter. They've got to know when to push the envelope, when not to, more awareness of what's happening around you. Some of these are young players and you hope that they learn over time how to do it, but it's not always younger players. There are some older ones doing it as well. And it's just trying to make too many things happen. We've seen over the course of this season, that's usually a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And I think like Cesar Hernandez getting thrown out on an attempted steal, okay, that happens. It seems to happen a lot with this team, but okay. But the guys getting picked off, I mean, I don't know if they're asleep, if they're out to lunch, if their leads are too large. I don't know what it is. I mean, but when Adam Adovino picked off Luis Garcia at second base, Adovino took Garcia to school with that pickoff move. And after Garcia got tagged out, Adovino gave Garcia a look like, sorry, pal, I had to do that to you. Adovino's a pretty good guy. He's on MLB Network a lot. He's a smart guy, pretty good reliever too. But he nailed Garcia and Garcia knew it. And you're just like, man, 
like Luis Garcia, he did so many good things in this game. I hate that we even have to have to talk about this, but like you can't when you get a double and then you get picked off at second base. That's a rally killer, man. <laughs> like that's so bad that that happens, and yet it keeps happening with this team. Yeah, like we said, they're up two to one at that time, and you got a runner in scoring position. You might be able to tack on a run and make it three to one. That could have been the difference in the game, and you know, thankfully, it wasn't. You just hope that a young guy like Luis Garcia learns from it. We do know he can be careless at times, whether that's on the bases, in the field. You've got to believe that over time, he matures as a player and stays mentally engaged all the time. I think that's what happens is he gets a little lazy. His mind will wander at times like that. He's probably feeling good. Like, hey, I just got my third hit of the night. I'm on second base. We got the lead. Next thing you know, oh, wait a minute. I just got picked off. That's got to be cleaned up in the long run. He's not going to make it in the long run if that becomes a recurring issue for him. With the Nats bullpen on Saturday night, Carl Edwards Jr., a scoreless bottom of the eighth, Erasmo Ramirez, perfect bottom of the ninth with two strikeouts. And yeah, Max Scherzer was the Mets starting pitcher. He leaves the game due to discomfort on his left side. He earlier this season missed time with a left oblique issue. We don't know if this is a recurrence of that or not. We do know, though, with Max in recent years, he's had these nagging things that have popped up. He's having another great season. His ERA for the year now is 226. He in this game, one run in five innings, five strikeouts versus one walk. The only big boo-boo really was that Luis Garcia home run. But isn't it something that we can say, Patrick Corbin outpitched Max Scherzer. And raise your hand if you expected that going into this game. You saw that one coming out, right? You had money on that one happening, right? Well, Corbin, first complete game of the season for the Nats, breaks the drought of no Nats pitcher earning a win. Now has earned wins in back-to-back starts and outpitches Max Scherzer in a big game in September for the Mets on a Saturday night at City Field. So for all of the bad, Corbin can at least point to those things this season. Yes, he hasn't been a total loss of a season. Listen, with Scherzer, so it, this is an issue. You know, he had a oblique strain earlier in the year. He missed like seven weeks with it. Everything had been good since then. He had been consistently throwing over a hundred pitches. So there hadn't been anything to make him, you know, hold back or anything like that. It sounds like what he told reporters afterwards was he started to feel it coming on and decided, let's not take any chances. Let's shut it down right now before it gets any worse. He thinks Buck Showalter thinks he makes his next start. So that's all good. None of us want to see Max Scherzer suffer any kind of injury again. But it is a reminder that, and we saw this in 19, it worked out great in the end, but boy, he had some scary moments along the way injury-wise. And while his arm has never been a problem for him over his career, you do see things with his back, his neck, his legs, now his side, that you do worry that he's not quite the unflappable warrior that we've seen for so long in his career. And it's not his fault. It happens to everybody eventually. He's up there in age. He was going for win number 200 tonight, something that only two other active pitchers in the game have. That's Verlander and Greinke. So he's still elite, but in the back of your mind, that little bit of concern now whenever he takes the mound that physically something could go wrong. And we didn't used to have those worries when he was really in his prime a few years ago. Yeah, it's funny. The arm is still, as far as we know, in pristine shape. The performance is still good, but his body is failing him a little bit. He's having these things pop up, no doubt. Well, Eric Fetty, are the Mets ready for Fetty and a potential Nats series win at the Mets? We'll find out on Sunday. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram at Nats chat podcast. 
Uh, you can get yourself or someone who you know a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. Nats Chat is on the radio on Sunday morning, Sunday mornings at 9 on 1061 ESPN in Richmond. You can listen online at ESPNRichmond.com. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Now pitch swung on, grounded through the hole, a base hit left field. Abram speeding around third, Canna up with it, his throw to the plate, cut off by Escobar, and Abram slides across the plate with run number seven. On a single to left for Lane Thomas, it's his third hit in his last three at-bats. He drives in his 44th run of the year. And the Nationals now lead at 7-1. The Boo Birds are out at City Field as Buck Showalter goes to the mound to take the ball from right-hander Adonis Medina.